Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. We're coming towards the end of this kind of section of the letter. This whole year we're in 1 Corinthians, which is one of Paul's longest letters. And he's writing to a church that commentators think was anywhere between 40 to like 150 people. So it wasn't a large church. It was like a church very, very similar to, to us. But this church had a whole bunch of problems. They had no Christian heritage to go off. So they were born uh, into the kingdom of God, out of these pagan lifestyles, and were trying to follow Christ in their own way. But they were getting it dramatically wrong in all these different ways. They kept falling out with one another. Um, some of them were taking some people to court because they didn't like what someone else was doing or saying. There were people trying to form cliques. There were people trying to form kind of true church within the one church. There was one guy who was hooking up with his own mother in the church. And even people outside the church raised their eyebrows at that one, thinking that there was a lot of immorality that was going on. People were kind of falling out over what kind of food you should eat. Um, Sundays was often for them, we're told in this passage, like it was like more of a kind of moment to show off gifts or trying to get ahead or show how spiritual I might be compared to you. And they were so confused about the resurrection. This church had a few problems. Paul loved this church, but it had, and it also, more than that, the church didn't have problems with each other. The church had problems with Paul himself. So this guy started the church. He loved this church. He saw them through it to come to Christ, born again. He helped see them baptise. And yet when he left, the church started to talk about Paul and think, do you know what, actually... He's not actually the kind of leader that we really want. They looked at Paul and thought, this guy isn't, he's not that impressive, really. Like when you look at the other spiritual leaders and the other guys who are kind of giving their speeches about philosophy, Paul didn't really match up. And so there were some people who were beginning to say, like, I don't think we should really listen to Paul. To Paul. There was this moment in the passage before in 1 Corinthians where he talks about his own life and he says how like weak his own life is. And I think he references this because this is what the church looked down on in Paul because he says this in uh, verse 11 of the same chapter. He says, To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. This is a man who had grown up with privilege and yet because of Christ was living in this kind of moment of difficulty and poverty and he think he highlights it because this is what the church was saying look at this guy like he hasn't got any fancy clothes he's not you know working as a laborer in the day like how, why he's not like a spiritual guru he's like a guy who's making tents like why should we listen to him and his preaching's not much and so how would you respond if you were Paul and this church was bad mouthing you and trying to form cliques so that they would separate from you? Like how would like if anyone's ever said anything bad about you, how do you respond? Like either you just want to back off and be like, OK, this is not a relationship that I want to be a part of anymore. We're cutting off the haters in our culture every which way, like even when we're just no, we're, we're, we're removing ourselves from this relationship. Right. So how, how does Paul feel, though, about this church that are bad-mouthing them? This is what he writes at the beginning of the letter in chapter 1, verse 4. He says, I 
give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I'd be like, guys, like you do your thing in Corinth. I'm going to go back to Greece because that church, they really like me. They appreciate my preaching, my ministry. Uh, they host me really well. So you're fine. You just do your own thing, whatever. But Paul says, I'm, I give thanks to you always. And at the very end of the letter, he says, do you know what? He reminds them, I love you. Do you know, church, I really do love you. The very last thing he wants to say to them, church, I love you. And this very letter itself is him moving towards this church, trying to help the church that are like mistreating him. It's an amazing like reaction, I think, if you think. Like, I'd be like, fine, like, just do your own thing, guys, whatever. But Paul continues to move towards them, to love them, to correct them, to teach them. He wants to help them and he still, his heart is good to them. He still gives thanks to God for this church. The question is why? Why would Paul have this kind of reaction and not just walk off? There are plenty of other places he could have gone to. Why does he still care about this church? And the secret is in this passage. Because Paul does not view this church as a group of Christians who are following God in Corinth. He views this church as his own family. He writes them and, and says this in the, the beginning of this passage that Jen read to us. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. And I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The heart of this letter is Paul at one time admonishing and correcting and teaching, but doing it as a brother to this church. He says at the very beginning in chapter one, verse 10, and he kind of sums up his approach to the church. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, brothers and sisters, he is saying, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that. And he brings this teaching. So he says, I'm appealing to you, church, to live this way on the basis that we are already brothers and sisters of one another. So we need to live in a certain way like family. Paul views the church not like a, this kind of spiritual service provider. You know, like there's church in this part of Corinth, there's a church in this part of Corinth. You, you take your pick. Uh, when we meet at Chloe's house, it's like this. Don't come to church because like, the worship's not your liking of that. But when you meet at, you know, Alexandria's house, then it's great. So then the worship's better there because so-and-so leaves worship. I'll turn up then. It's not like, hey, when the coffee's good, at Starbucks I drink it or if it's not good at Costa I don't drink it it's just like I'm choosing my church depending on what my certain vibe is no Paul says this church whether I am treated well or not is my family and when we're family we can't just adios I'm out of here we're with each other through thick and through thin through the good and through the bad and in that place we experience something of the power of God because it's interesting at the very end of this, Paul says this, this passage, he says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. 
And what is Paul referencing here? When I think power normally, I think like the spectacular. I think of like a, a guy in a silk suit on a big stage with a big gold microphone shouting Pentecostal things at each other like power. You know, I feel like that's kind of the power of God is coming. You know, when the power of God is coming, when the preacher gets really loud, that's like the power moment. But in this context, what is the power? There are people who are trying to divide this family up. And Paul is saying, basically, no, that's just talk. That's empty of power. What is power in the kingdom of God? It is to walk with others who are not like you and to call them brother and sister and to continue to walk together in harmony, in togetherness, even when you may not naturally hang out with them if you are out in normal life. Of God at work, the quiet power of God that forms a people and turns them into something glorious that tells us about the glory of God. This is the power of God, and Paul is drawing on them to call them back into full relationship as not just, hey, this is the latest like style of Christianity that we hope will attract other people. No, this is us as family together. So what I want to do today is just ask two questions, like why we should talk about ourselves as family and some thoughts on how we can do that. So why, why is it that we talk about ourselves as brother and sister and just some thoughts that like Paul gives us from this. And my, my, my hope is at the end of this that we grow because we, we, in any kind of family, in any relationship, there's depths, right? Like, just because you're not having shout-up arguments with each other doesn't mean that there's not depths and unity and joy and to experience. There, there's always greater depth that we can walk into as family and in relationships. And I, I know, like, in a church like ours, when we say family, all sorts of things will come, come to mind, right? Some of it will be good, some of it will be bad, some will be good and bad. You know, if you grow up in some context, family is like parents kids dog you know cat goldfish that's it like no no one else is allowed in this is our family like we're done now and others are like there's granny there's grandma there's grandpa there's an aunt who lives in that corner over there for some reason and there's like just family everywhere and you never know who's coming and going and who's a real aunt or who's a real cousin and there's, there's all these different ways of like doing family and we all bring those expectations and we bring the kind of hopes and the fears and some of the hurts sometimes of our own family into this. As we find out why we call ourselves as family, as God's children, I, what I'm, I'm praying is we just take some of this away and think about it and it will breathe some healing to us as well. Because, you know, that tight nuclear three, four of us and the big open-ended family where you don't know who is in and who's out really. Like they, every, every type of family has something to teach us as we come together as God's family, amen? So let me, why and how? The why starts with God because Paul says this. He says, for, like I'm calling us together as family into unity. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the reason that we call ourselves brother and sister is not because, you know, we like to kind of have a relaxed family vibe here at Trinity. It's actually because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because when we get saved from the wrath of God and we receive eternal life and we 
purposed with God for glory, it doesn't just change the status of our souls right now, it actually transforms our relationships around us and it transforms how we view other people in the church. Who grew up in church? Anyone go like like a proper churchy person like grew up from day zero yeah okay a few of us I was one of those I grew up in church from like day zero and like when I was a young boy like wanting just to be like cool and hang out with my friends and do boy stuff and then when I got to like a young teenager lad stuff and all the other things that lads do like I basically had it like there were the 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 guys at school that I wanted to hang out with and like overly wanted to be part of that group and then in my mind there were the church people and the guys like who I was hanging out at school like they were cool like they dressed well what I thought was well I look back now in the 90s I'm like what on earth lime green shirts like buttoned up anyway and we're like okay but these were the cool guys and these guys at church in my heart I, I honestly I looked down on them because like some of them literally wore white socks with sandals and shorts like no care like this how like just didn't matter they for my for some reason i was really anti-fleece at the time as well i don't know why like especially pastel colors i know it's back in now but fleeces and things i was like i just could not resonate with these people at church and so i was like i want to be with these guys these are the cool guys and then there was church people who i thought mm, i don't, don't want to hang out with those guys And then when I got to the age of 17 and the pastor challenged me to read the gospel for myself, something happened in my heart and I began to see the glory of this man, Jesus Christ. And in my heart, I thought, I want to follow this Jesus. And my whole resolution was about Jesus. I was like, I'm Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I want to follow this Jesus. I want to learn about Jesus. But then something really weird happened over like the six months and then the 12 months. I began to realise that... I began to feel like these weird, like warm feelings towards people at church. And I was like, this feels weird. Why do I feel like some affinity with these people? Because like two years ago, I did not want to be with them at all. And now I'm like sitting around a lunch and feeling like we're very connected for some reason. And I feel actually like I quite like them for some. And it took me a while to admit that as like, a kid trying to be really cool at 17 like actually you're not so you're not so bad sure you know what was happening in my heart as the gospel was slowly penetrating my hard heart and softening my heart it was transforming my perception of what church was it wasn't just this place that I went to to get preaching do a prayer or two and then go home and then read the bible for myself because no I began to realize I'm connected with these people around me so much so that we're actually family it's a crazy thought and you have those moments in there when you like meet a christian for the first time where you find out that they're a christian you've never met them before and you ever have that feeling where like i feel like i'm meeting a long lost cousin and we're just like we part of have you ever had that feeling and you suddenly just hit it off and you're like we're so different we should not be talking right now and yet it feels like we have this huge bond because we're called into family this all starts in god this all starts in who god is father son and holy spirit let me ask you a question have you ever wondered you probably have but have you ever wondered like what god was up to before he was up to doing stuff in the world 
Like, have you ever wondered, before Genesis 1, before he created the heavens and the earth and everything around it, like, what was God doing when there was nothing to do? Have you ever wondered that? Like, in my mind, like, without the Bible, I basically think of God like a, a Marvel comic kind of pulsating power, just like lying dormant. Like, that's how, like, he's kind of like having a long eternal nap. There's nothing to do, right? But he's powerful. So he just kind of exists in this kind of quiet, napping, pulsating state, just like ready to explode raw power. That's how, like, I imagine him. But when we read the Bible, we actually find out something very different about who God is when there is nothing to do. God is actually very different. So let me just, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 17. And I just want to turn to a couple of verses really briefly. They're small verses, but they are like, I think they're life-changing verses. So John chapter 17, verse 24. And this is Jesus in prayer, praying to God the Father, knowing that the next day he's going to be crucified. These are the the deepest of his prayers, knowing that horrendous things are going to happen the next day. And he says this, Father, I desire that they also, that includes you and me, those who are Christians today, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So just get this from Jesus is talking about what is happening before the foundation of everything before Genesis 1 Jesus is saying that I was a son with you my father and you my father were loving me so before everything happened there was father son and holy spirit in this family relationship where God the father was bestowing love and protection and joy over his son whom became called Jesus Christ. In Proverbs 8, we're told this amazing thing where we get this insight into the Godhead, where we find Jesus saying that I was beside him, the father, like a master workman in creation, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. So in this love, there is the father loving the son, rejoicing over the son. And the son is before the father, receiving the father's love and joy. And in return, loving the father back with joy. So what is happening is not just this like flatlining, pulsating power ready to explode, but this family of relationships, Father, Son and Holy Spirit exploding in joy over one another with love for one another. And this, we're told, is the reason why God creates. Because the, the couple of verses later in John 17, Jesus says this. He says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you know that you have sent me. It says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with, you, with, with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. 
So just get what Jesus is saying. You've been loving me eternally. Before there was anything to do, they were happy. They were fine in and of themselves. But there was a love that they wanted to express. This family wanted to express its love beyond its borders to show love to others. And so the Father, Son and Holy Spirit planned to create Genesis 1, the heavens and earth, you and me, so that we might experience this love with which the love that the Father loves the Son. This is the purpose with which we were created, not just to be moral, obedient people who do Christian things and go to church on a Sunday, but that we might be loved by God. Amen. This is the reason why we were created, that joy might be in our hearts and us in our just like, why, 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 why do we do it? We walk away from him all the time right god the father wanting to protect us and love us and care for us and guide us and discipline us into righteousness and maturity and wholeness and joy and relationship and sat around a banqueting table we continue to try and basically forge our own life create our own identity or like i like you want to give me your name father i want to I want to make my own way in life. I want to know that I did it. I want to know that I created something out of my life. I want to create something that I'm going to look back on and prove. At the end of my life, I want to look back on what I did. And so we're continually walking away from this fatherly protection of God and thinking, I want to do it my own way. Like, I don't think you really have got my best interests at heart. It's what we say when we sin to God. And God the Father is like, I'm providing everything for you. But the good news is that God the Father does not let us just walk off into the distance like orphans, amen. God moves heaven and earth to see us saved. He empties heaven of all of its riches in his son, Jesus Christ, that we might receive salvation back into the household of God. So when you and I are walking around in life as orphans, trying to struggle to find our identity in life, not knowing that if we just returned home, we would sit at his banqueting table and have eternal riches laid out for us. We're still thinking, no, I'd rather just have a penny that I could call my own than have all the earth given to us as a gift by our father. And yet the father sends his son, Jesus Christ, to pursue us on a rescue mission, to call us back into the household of God, that we might enjoy the privileges of what it is to be part of his family. Amen. And so when Christ comes, he doesn't just call us followers or disciples or even friends. He calls us brothers and sisters. I keep fighting this temptation to quote the fast and the furious, but I'm going to try. And... <laughs> I don't have friends. I have family. <laughs> Christ comes to win us back to himself. And he willingly gets rejected by you and I. Like the family that he's trying to save, he actually gets rejected. Like Joseph, you know, and he, he was coming to serve his brothers and his brothers mistreat him, push him into a ditch and leave him there to be killed and walk off. And just when Christ comes to us, we in exactly the same way say, Jesus, you're not the kind of saviour, you're not the kind of brother that we want. Anyone been annoyed by an older brother? <laughs> yeah, and he's like, yeah. In our sin, we rejected Jesus. We said, we don't want you as our older brother. We don't want you as our savior. We don't want you to give us stuff. We want to do it on our own. 
And yet Christ in his mercy comes and he dies for us even still. And he dies on a cross and he himself, he experiences what we have as an orphan and he loses something of the fatherhood of God on the cross where he cries, doesn't he? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every other time in the Gospels, he talks to God as father. In this one moment, he just can't quite see God as father because something is lost as he experiences our sin on our behalf so that he might rescue us and bring us back to God. And God the Father himself declares that my son has been killed for you. Back in Old Testament Jewish males, if they lost a son, they would often tear their garments to display the fact that they are in mourning, that they are experiencing the loss of a son. Jacob, when he lost, he thought he lost his son, Joseph, tore his robes. And what we're told when Christ was crucified, the temple where the presence of God dwelt, the temple, the garments of God, if you will, the adornment of God was torn from top to bottom. The father declaring, my son has been crucified and killed this day, that you might return to me and be welcomed back into the household with me so that I can provide for you again. There is a place at the table. Will you come and sit with me and let me put my name on you and provide for you and protect you again? And the glory of becoming a Christian is not that we get moral, is that we get a father who is the almighty God. Amen. We get provided everything that we need back in the 1600s just like a mile down the road from here in Westminster a group of Christian leaders got together and they were trying to articulate something of the glory of what it meant to be adopted into the family of God and this is something that they wrote we're blessed that's all I need to say we're blessed to be around God's table we have an identity given to us we have privilege we are provided for everything that we need. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, does it? You walk through times of scarcity. You think, ah, oh, there, there are actually a few things that I feel like I need right now, God. But God the Father is perfect in knowing just the right time to give us just the right things that will lead us to life. And one day, as Psalm 23 says, we will be sat down at the dining table with God, our heads overflowing with oil, our cups overflowing with wine, sat, provided for, filled with joy with one another amen this is the gospel and the gospel creates family because god is father son and holy spirit so when you got saved you actually walked into family you may not have known that you may not still like it but tough here we are we're your brothers and sisters and we're going to do life together that's why we call ourselves brothers and sisters so why is because of the gospel and some of the how, I just wanted to share some thoughts from this passage, just some reflections that Paul gives us. How can we grow into this and learn to kind of heal from some of our own traumas and pains and bring some of our own like redeemed parts of our culture and just bring it to church to say, this is, this is how I do family because every culture has like different bits that are good. And if we can bring all of that together, we can just experience something of the joy of God. Amen. So first thing is this, if we're going to grow as family, it means that we have to keep the gospel at the very center of all that we are doing. Because in any family, there are moments where 
your sibling or a parent or an uncle or an aunt will say something or do something or that will just like annoy you a little bit is anyone Yuna's laughing sorry anyone else everyone's like I know everyone's trying to keep a straight face I don't know like it's just life you may get two sinful people put them together at some point one person is going to annoy the other it's just like just life different expectations different thoughts about life different opinions just different ways of communicating extrovert and introvert like why don't you talk to me sometimes why don't you be quiet sometimes like you're just trying to like work out life together at the very basic level it's not like even you're trying to sin against each other you're just people and what 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 do we do like either we can like withdraw i just back off or we can lash out or we can do both. I mean, that's the best recipe, isn't it? Like emotionally withdraw until it's all really bottled up really badly and just like let loose one day and just ruin everything. That's like a really helpful strategy. No, we can like do really unhelpful things, can't we, sometimes? What do we need in those moments? We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we see Christ crucified, what we find out in that moment is that I am probably worse and more sinful than I am aware of right now. If Christ had to be crucified and experience hell itself to save me, how bad are the depths of my heart that I don't even know about? Most of the day, I feel like I'm actually quite a good guy, but then I look at Christ being crucified and I think, how, how bad was I and am I that that was what was needed to save me? It wasn't like, hey, I put together a hundred pounds, here's a ticket, you can get in because you're pretty okay. No, Christ had to be slaughtered on a cross for me to experience the joy of heaven so when I look at that moment I think I'm worse than I knew in the first place which means I'll take the speck out of my own eye the plank out of my own eye I will just pause for a second and think okay there might be stuff in my life that might be even worse which makes us pause and just think okay I'm going to be gracious and also, because Christ is crucified, I can see the fact that he has forgiven me. He moved towards me. He loved me. And so that I can move towards someone else. Because if Christ can forgive me for all I've done against him, why can't I forgive someone else? Why can't I oversee someone else's? Why can't love cover all over this sin and this sin and this sin and this sin? And I will continue to move towards this family of believers knowing that Christ has forgiven me. So the, the gospel changes both of us, all of us in, in every direction. It makes us non-judgmental and also enables us to deal with things and to move and do life together. I think the amazing thing in this is that, but that Paul never, he never demands an apology off the church. You notice that? Like, it doesn't like, there's not like a letter before 1 Corinthians that says, guys, I'm going to help you out. But before I do that, I need an apology. So until the apology comes, I'm here in Greece. You can find me here. Like he actually covers them over with his love, knowing how he's been loved by the gospel. And he just loves them still, even as their attitudes towards him are mistreating them. And isn't this just like Christ who came to call us brothers and sisters to himself? Like when you think of Peter, like Peter, who denied Christ three times at his moment of need, fell asleep on him, denied him, told him, you know, get away from me, Satan, tried to cut down a soldier with a sword. Like everything wrong that Peter could have done, he did it wrong. Denied Christ. 
If I was Jesus, I, I would have thought, okay, I see, I see, I see you, Peter. Like, I'm here. Uh, you know I deserve an apology, right? So, like, until I receive that apology, we're not going anywhere. Like, the mission of God pauses right now. Like, we're so highly attuned to our own rights and our own dignity in this culture that we're like, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm getting an apology. I'm just here. Like, whatever. And what does Jesus do? The first thing he says to Peter is, I've made you breakfast. Isn't that amazing? Not like sitting at the shoreline like, I'm here. I mean, you, like, Jesus could have really played with Peter like, surprise, you want to talk? Like, but he says, no, I'm, I made breakfast. Let's have breakfast together. He covers over. Isn't that amazing? And I think in this way, like if the gospel permeates our hearts in the church, it means that we later on, we're going to find out, it says cover, just a, love covers over a multitude of sins. Like, oh, it's good news because God loves me. So I can just cover that one over. It's fine. I can cover that attitude up. I can, I can move on with that. I don't, I don't, it's fine. I love you. So we need to keep the gospel at the center of everything that we do so that we can keep walking into increasing depth and joy and unity together. The second thing is this, we need to be willing to receive admonishment, which is what Paul is doing in this letter, which is what he kind of, because he gets like quite sharp with them in the passage before this. And I think he knows this and he says, you know, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. He's not writing it. That is not his purpose. But to admonish you as my beloved children. He's coming as a father, like a father, with children. And to admonish is essentially to correct, but with encouragement. It's not just a complete losing it, like, blah, 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 your room is this, whatever, like, don't come back until, you know, it's not, it's, it, it's a correction with encouragement. If there is something that needs to change here, can we talk about it? Because I love you. And for us to grow as a church, we need to be unlike the Corinthians and we need to receive admonishment into our lives, which means that we need to listen to those who are older than us in the Lord, maybe older than us in experience, and hear them and what they are saying because they have wisdom that we can learn from and we don't like doing this generally I don't think do we like just kind of like hey I've got these plans that I really secretly I'm going to do whatever you say but would you like you know tell me what you think but I'm going to do what I want anyway because I've already made up my mind but I'm going to try and pretend to listen to you but I won't because I've got my plans like that's how like we're like we're told you know you do you don't listen to anyone else we were watching like a, a decorating program well, that's an interior design program this week because that's what i do these days i watch interior design programs and even in that like the the mantra that this one person was saying like you don't need to listen to them why are you listening to this one like very sensible piece of advice and her first reaction was like why are you listening to them you, you've got to do, you express you. Bro. Like, what? But actually, if we're going to grow and mature, and if we're going to live as family, it means receiving admonishment from others. Because where do you, you grow actually in the relationships where you covenant with one another? I know that I have grown through Victoria more than anyone. She has been the biggest source of change and growth and maturity in my life than anyone else. And it's because 
mostly because we're covenanted with one another. And so she speaks life into my life and she points things out that I wish she wouldn't point out sometimes, but I'm like, after about a year and a half, I'm like, yeah, all right then, all right then, I'll listen to that. Hopefully quicker than that. But, it's this, but that's why, when, why we make a thing of membership here, because when we walk together as family and when you go through certain situations and you sit and listen and receive wisdom from others, even unexpected places sometimes, and you say, actually in my heart, I'm going to listen to that. It allows us to grow and mature. Amen. I, I checked in with Ash with this one, but I just wanted to like make sure Ash was okay. And he is okay with me sharing this. I just want to like honor Ash for a moment because I think Ash has been amazing over the last couple of years. Because if you know Ash, he is like a wild missionary at heart. <laughs> like his passions are like all over the globe and in particular in Indonesia, I think that's what I'm saying. And... Um, Ash longs to be there. And it was about, I don't know, about a year ago or so, and Ash was like weighing up. Like, I think if someone had put a ticket in front of you, you probably would be like, just ran to Heathrow, like not even getting an Uber and just gone. But there was a couple of older voices in his life that just said, we think you should stick around for a bit longer. We don't quite know why, but our heart and our senses, like there's things that God needs to do in your life first before you go. And I, I, I just want to honour you, Ash, because Ash listened uh, and said, OK, I'm going to stick around. Contrary to what he felt, he said, OK, I'll receive this insight. I'd receive this admonition. And the interesting thing is now that within regions beyond, there are these strange bubblings of works happening in Indonesia. And it almost feels like God is just moving some chess pieces around where Ash might just fit into part of this and you begin to realize later why but would have Ash have experienced some of the like togetherness of this if he'd not and it's for all of us right there are moments where you just need to say okay contrary to what I feel I'm going to listen to this so that's the second we need to be willing to receive admonition and the third thing is this we need to take the long view on our discipleship the long view because we like the quick view we like the i could i listen to a podcast and go to the next step of maturity please like give me something i can listen to in a week and i'll then i'll like get to the next step we like that kind of ping like discipleship but growth into the image of our older brother jesus christ takes time i a lifetime, as Andrew's saying, absolutely a lifetime. I, as I've said far too often, me turning 40 and my existential crisis and my fear of mortality and all these things, you know, I'm going through right now, you know, is you become very aware as you grow older of like your sense of your parents. And sometimes even yesterday I was preparing this, thinking about this, I sometimes feel like I am actually inhabiting my dad's own body. I'm not losing my mind, but I just wonder, like, I feel I, I make the same noises as my dad. My kids say something to me and I literally make the same intonation that like, that's what my dad used to do to me. Yes. I'm like, why, why am I like, I do all these things that my dad did. Why do I do all these things that my dad did? Because I spent all this time with him, right? Growing up, being in the same household, just picking up his ways and being discipled into his likeness. I'm, I'm happy with that, honestly. But for us as Christians, we think, no, I want the podcast, I want a sermon, I want one prayer, I want to like get the maturity. But it's a lifetime of being shaped by one another. 
which means who we are together is so important and being together is so important because if we just try and go solo listening to stuff in our earphones on the way to work thinking i don't need other people we will never grow into maturity because we grow as a family into the likeness of our son because you guys bring something of the likeness of Christ that I don't. And I bring something of the likeness of Christ that you don't. And together we learn from each other and we're discipled by, by each other. Which why it matters, like, let me just say this, even if you're not on a rota and if you're part of Trinity, if you're not on a rota, you maybe have a more important role than those who are on a rota. I mean, we all have an important role, but because we are modeling what it is to follow Christ together. And so you are actually discipling others and being discipled by those around you. I mean, I love having Naimat and Nayab here on the front row because if you see these girls I and mean, they worship Jesus and they just like get lost in wonder, love and praise, they are discipling me when I'm, I'm here. Like sometimes, you know, at the front when you're trying to lead a service, you get a bit distracted because there are things you've got to do and blah, blah, blah. And there's Micah and so I'm in and out and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I, I catch a glance. It just reminds me like, oh my goodness, I want their simplicity of faith and love for Jesus. It just reminds me again like, let me just love you, Jesus, for a moment. Let me just thank you for a moment. Let me just... And they help me know Jesus again. Do they even know that? Well, they might be discipled, they might. <laughs> Who you are here really matters. You're not hidden. People are noticing, learning from you what it is to worship to pray to be in faith when we're in groups together we disciple one another as family and over time we are formed in the image of our older brother jesus amen amen, amen. can i invite